Hello and welcome to another episode of The Jimmy Rack Show. Today on the podcast, we sit down with Kendall Furman. And Kendall is the author of the book, You Are the Medicine. And it is a book that is gonna be releasing here in a couple months, but I wanted to have her on the podcast. One thing I love about her journey, she is a young millennial, 26 years old, who has really gone out and carved her own path in life. She set out and just as a traveler and she's um, just very spiritually minded. She uh, originally was in LA and realized she wanted to do some other things, went to Peru and tried ayahuasca and 5-MeO-DMT, some of these powerful psychedelics, um, and then also had to deal with some depression and other issues, but she's very open, just a very interesting person for me to talk to. I really enjoyed getting to know her and following her path and seeing somebody that's out there living their best life, somebody that's not afraid to go for it. And my book is called You End Up Where You're Heading, The Hidden Dangers of Living a Safe Life. And the whole book is about being the hero of your own story. And I feel like Kendall really exemplifies this in her own life. And so I really was excited to talk to her and she did not disappoint. So without further ado, let's get to the podcast with Kendall Furman. All right, well, Kendall, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to, uh, to be on here and to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm super appreciative that you reached out and was listening to your podcast earlier today and just love, love what you're doing. Well, I loved, like when I saw the name of your book, so I've been trying to teach this to people for, for the last couple of years, got into the plant medicine space myself, been life-changing in every which way. But one of the things that I've noticed with plant medicine is a lot of people kind of get caught up a little bit too much in the medicine. They think that that is what's going to make the difference. They don't do the um, integration work and they, they kind of get relying upon it. And so your book is called You Are the Medicine. And I thought that was such a beautiful book title. And so I wanted to know more about it. So I started looking into you and what you're doing and, and love everything about it as well. Yeah. I mean, I looked at your description for your podcast and you say the same thing, like be your own hero. That's the same message to me in like a different wording. Right. It's like, and I keep kept having the same message come back in different words. Like I have that in my book as well. Like be your own hero. Like you're the Christ you're looking for. Like, it's just like a metaphor for like these things that we put on a pedestal, whether it be plant medicine, whether it be, um, an icon that you look up to a musician or, you know, an entrepreneur that you're like, wow, he's awesome. Like I can never be like that. It's just constantly putting things on a pedestal. And essentially what you're doing is projecting your own inner worth outside of you. And I think it's good to recognize these things as awesome, but then realizing like, okay, no, that's within me as well. Like I have that within me and that's why it worked is because it helped ignite something with you within you rather than it just being like, no, that's the magic pill that like does it for me. And so that was like some of the biggest lessons I've learned. I mean, it's a long story, of course, like trying to wrap up a book in like one sentence is kind of hard, but um, <laughs> essentially, yeah, that's the whole gist. Well, and I think you do a, such a great job of, of articulating that. You know, one of the things about the plant medicines is I think that their entire purpose is to teach us that we are the medicine. And that's mm -hmm. one of the messages that I got out of it. I did 5-MeO DMT one time and my, the entire thing was I got to see that all the love I was trying to get from everywhere else mm. was all within me the entire time. That was my whole experience essentially. And it was Whoa. like, and I just kept, I, I don't even remember my friends that were there, you know, they, they said, I just kept saying over and over again, like holding my heart and saying, I'm a beautiful human Aww. because I remember from the experience, all I was experiencing was like, oh my gosh, all this love is within me. And I, I can just, it's right here. I don't need to keep searching for it and hoping to be loved or hoping to be enough. I have everything within me that I need already. Mm, that's exactly mine. So I had a five, five MEO DMT experience Bufo in Nicaragua. And that's where I heard you are the medicine, like over and over again. And that was like one of the chapters in my book was like how intense that experience was. And I mean, it's crazy. Cause it's like the story in the book, it goes like, or what actually happened, not just a story. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what happened. I, I took five. Well, so I had taken, I was already living in Peru at this time and I'd taken ayahuasca. I took it twice and both times were amazing. Um, very life transformational, something that I've been wanting to do for many years, but I, I knew within myself, I wasn't ready. This was like senior year of college. I heard about it and I was like, I'm not ready yet because I was kind of going through my own phase of deconstructing my religion and coming out of that. So I didn't want to like, I already knew within me, like, okay, if I leave one God and try to make something else, my God, it's going to be bad. So I'm just going to wait until for a few more years until I feel ready. And I feel called. And I, I literally had a vision during a meditation of me doing it in Peru. And then I ended up doing it in Peru just as I envisioned it. And, um, but then I'm, we, I went to Nicaragua after lived in a circus it was absolutely amazing life transformational, like just like owning myself and learning to own my weirdness and authenticity and 
What, what do you mean you lived in a circus? Explain <laughs> you know, I feel bit. like I just say that and then I'm like, I should give some context because I say that to people. I'm like, like sitting here. I'm like, you're like circus. traveling around from city to city. And <laughs> so it's called Elephant. Circus Island with Momentum Collective residencies and they're residencies that they hold around the world and they each have a different focus. So this one was in Nicaragua on an island in a lake in Nicaragua. So it's absolutely gorgeous with two volcanoes. And so you basically live there in the community and it has you know, all food included, all workshops included every single day. And it's not like a strict regimen of like, like a, like a yoga teacher training, which I had done in um, Peru. Cause that's like, you have to show up. This is more of like, you, a, like an adult summer camp, but spiritual, but playful. Like their whole motto is like spirituality is play. It doesn't have to be taken so seriously. And so that's where the circus element comes in is learning like sacred clowning and like clowning was like, an. it's, I've never thought about like clowning before, but it was like, such a spiritual experience of like having to, you know, get up in front of a crowd and face your fears of like being weird and like having people think you're weird, but then owning it. And so like, it was honestly doing that and air, learning aerial, aerial yoga and silks and fire dancing, acro yoga, all of this stuff. It really just helped me get out of my comfort zone of like not caring if people think I'm weird or not, which has helped me a lot in so many different areas in life. Kind of like how I think improv, I took that in like an improv class um, after college. It really helped me with business, actually. Well, it's but, a really it's a really valuable skill because so in my life mission, I have five values that are implanted in there. One of them is playful. Mm. Um, because when you're in a playful state, you can't be in a negative emotion as well. It's one of the most important things I think that we forget as we become adults. I mean, look at a child, right? They move so freely and they're playful. Mm. And and most of the time we're in problems or we're in a negative emotion, we're not being playful. Is there's no way. And so that's really a, a really cool, valuable thing to go and experience. How long were you in the circus, I guess? A month. So it was, they, it was usually their residencies are about a month, but this one was three months. And then we came near the end and we were thinking, oh, we're only going to do two weeks. But then we ended up staying for a whole month. Me and my boyfriend, he met me out half, met me in Peru halfway through my journey. Um, but it was such a, it's exactly that, like learning to bring playfulness back. And I talk about that journey of like, I came into the circus being really serious and having dealt with a lot of like, kind of like business issues from social media, like getting a lot of hate on the internet at the time for no reason. And so I was like, kind of in a state of like, everyone's out to get me like, ah, like I like just an angry state, frustrated state, like kind of depressed state. And then coming into this, like, like basically playground where I got to like, let that go and like literally move the negative emotions out through playfulness. And so that was like a big lesson I learned. Well, your generation too, I mean, you're a little bit younger than I am. How are you? 25, 26, 26, 26. So your generation has to deal with being scrutinized by everybody on the internet all the time. And always, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's so worried about what they look like and everything else. And so what a gift to experience, um, liberating yourself of that. I think as somebody that's trying to build a following online and doing a very good job of it, you have to be willing to be criticized. You have to be willing to have critics out there thinking that you're an idiot or that you're crazy or whatever it might be. Because if you listen to those people, if you fall into the trap of listening to the words of everybody else, you quit living for yourself. And you literally start listening to these you know, people that the opinion of them absolutely means nothing. You, they're never going to affect your life. And this is your life. Mm. But so many people get thrown off of what they ultimately want to do because they get worried about those cheap seats, you know, the people, the critics. And so to be able to experience actually just putting yourself out there and allowing people to laugh and to play and to have that experience. I think, especially for you building an audience online has probably been super valuable. Oh yeah. I mean, it's been a journey of finding my voice and finding my authenticity online. I feel like in person, I'm very good at being my authentic self through my podcast and YouTube video, but sometimes like, especially on an Instagram post, it's kind of hard to be fully authentic online. I mean, it's literally the internet. And so it's all, I think it's impossible to be hundred percent yourself online, which I don't think you need to be like, some things could be kept sacred that like, and secret, you don't need to tell the world everything, but it was like a journey of learning the balance of like, okay, like I almost got obsessed with being authentic where it was like, oh my God, I want to make sure I'm being so authentic. I don't want people to think I'm this. And it was this journey last year where I was like, so afraid of what people were going to think because I was seeing people getting canceled left and right for things that weren't even something that they didn't do. And like, I think there's a balance between, of course, like if someone calls me out, I want to, and it's something true, I'll take accountability. But I started to be afraid of things that I wasn't even doing wrong because I think when you get distracted by scrolling on social media, all of these other voices 
distract you from what you're trying to do. And you're not in your center. Like you're literally not in your center because you're so like left and right, trying to like, listen to all these other voices. And so it's still something I struggle with a little bit, but not as much in, as in the past. And so I feel a lot more comfortable being myself online and through these journeys of psychedelics and, not even just psychedelics, but, you know, putting myself out there and traveling solo. I've always, I like to do one solo trip a year. Cause I think it's very important, um, to push yourself that way. And so I think through that, it's been able to help me like fully own myself and know what I want and then show up that way as well. And I think we're also constantly evolving. So you can't just like, Oh, I'm finally myself and I'll be that forever. But then you start to change and then you have to refigure out what that is. And so it's this constant evolution of like rediscovering yourself and like, being gentle during that journey as well. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it, one of my favorite things is the meme that has, I think it's got like a, uh, it's got a butterfly and a snail or whatever it's, and it's like, or a caterpillar. And it's like, you've changed. And he's like, yeah, we're supposed to, or whatever. Right. It's if you're the same person you are today, as you were a couple of years ago, um, it's kind of a tragedy, your own self. We should always be evolving. It's funny. Cause we always think we figured it out. And then you look back five years and like, wow, I did not know anything. And that's always going on that way. Um, I did want to touch on something you said, and we'll get back to the experience we were going into, but you talked about going on a trip by yourself every single year. Cause I do the same thing. I went last year, I went to flew into Croatia, rented a car and drove through nine countries by myself. Just oh, had the so time fun. of my life, ended up in Romania, flew home. It was amazing. And, um, but one thing that, I mean, you're a young woman. Um, and I think it's a lot more difficult for, um, especially an attractive young woman to go and do that. So I guess if you could maybe go into that a little bit, how did you do that? Make sure that you did it in a, a smart way, protect. Cause I have a lot of women that actually say to me, they're like, dude, I'm, I'm jealous that you get to go do that, but I can't, you know, because I'm a, I'm a girl. And so I guess maybe speak into like how you made sure that that was safe and how you did that. Yeah. So I think I started traveling pretty young. Like my parents took me to Mexico a lot growing up. And I think a lot of people had a fear of Mexico, especially in the United States, when I got to see this different side of like this just warm, loving culture and accepting. And I think like all of a lot of the times, like I think these ideas of like certain countries being dangerous, I think is like. I don't, I want to, I don't want to sound conspiracy theorist, but like propaganda pushed by, I don't know who, but it's just not true. Like I remember when I was in Peru and I was in the city and I like, I was in um, the sacred Valley. Like I felt so safe, so comfortable there. And someone like messaged or commented, like, why are you there? It's one of the most dangerous countries in the world by the, according to the U S top five day, whatever. And I'm like, where are they getting? Like, I've only encountered like beautiful, amazing, welcoming people. And that's of course, my, that's been my experience in all. I've been in 85 countries now, and that's my experience in all of them. I've yet to have a country where I was like, I mean, maybe Haiti. There was some shady stuff and things. Yeah. There's a few, but it's like for the most part, especially if you don't go looking for problems, they usually don't find you. Yeah, I think. And of course there's a difference between like you traveling, like I'm sure people are looking at you like, Oh, I'm not going to mess with that guy. <laughs> like you have some good, um, I guess like scary looking privilege there. Like people don't want to mess with you. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I'll take it. <laughs> I just made it up. I just literally made it up. Um, but no, it's like people aren't going to mess with you versus like, I do, of course, like there's dangerous situations everywhere, but to be honest, I literally had one of the most ex- scariest experiences like the other weekend in LA at an event that I thought was going to be safe. And my friends ended up getting pickpocketed and like, it was just dangerous. And I think also because I've traveled so much and my first year in college, I spent living in France and traveling Europe with my friends. And granted, I will say we were a bit naive, like we were naive, but also I like developed a lot of street smarts with it. Um, I, I think we just kind of went out and did whatever we wanted, you know, 18, first time partying, first time living alone in Paris. Like we had so much fun running around and we just kind of had that no fucks given attitude. So like when a guy came up and tried to pickpocket me, I fucking elbowed him in the face. Like I saved a family from being pickpocketed on the subway, the Metro. And this guy, I saw that he, I could tell, like I was very observant as it is. Like I'm a very observant person. I've always been very observant. I just am constantly scanning the room and seeing what's going on and noticing things. And so I was on the subway and I noticed that this guy was, I could tell his energy. He was looking at this family, American family that were being very loud, very obvious that they were American, very just kind of dumb about it. And they had, he had his like wallet and passport and all of his money sticking out in his fanny pack in front of him. He probably thought, Oh, if it's in front of me, it's safe. And this guy's eyeballing it. And then 
I, as he's walking out, like he pretends he bumps into them and starts to grab it. And so since I was watching the situation, I was keeping an eye on it. I grab the guy, pull him back, yank the stuff out and like, yeah, like he's grabbing your stuff. And I try to hold on to him. I'm like skinny 18 year old girl. can't do much besides literally grabbed him, took the stuff out of his hand. <laughs> and then he ran away. And I was like, had this adrenaline rush. I was like, Whoa, what was that? And then the family, like, you know, freaking out, they were getting off on their stop. So they like grab their stuff and they go out and they're freaking out. So they barely have any time to even thank me or see who I am. But then my friend who was standing next to me, this big, tall dude, he's like, Holy shit, Kendall. Like, what did you just do? Like, I wouldn't have even done that. And I was like, he's like, how did you even notice that? And I'm like, I'm just constantly observing the things around me. And I think that's being present for one, when you're traveling is like, you need to be very present and aware and obviously don't be walking on your phone, scrolling in the middle of the night in an alleyway. Like there's certain safety measures you can take. And just, I think it's just street smarts, just developing well, think, street smarts. Yeah. I think a lot of, you know, younger people too, they, they get too reliant upon their phone. For example, one thing when I'm traveling is I always say is, okay, if I were to lose my phone, I need to get my way back to where I'm at. Yeah. I need to be able to get, so I have pictures of my passport and my driver's license and credit cards that are, my assistant has them and he can send them to me at any time. Right. Oh, and then. So smart. I, I know whatever hotel I'm staying at, I know how to get there. Even if I don't have my phone, I try to drive to certain places without putting my GPS on all the time because I, when I'm traveling, especially alone, because I'm trying to make sure I'm protecting myself. Okay. If I lose my phone, worst case scenario, I need to, a lot of people, they lose their phone. They don't even know the name of the hotel they're at and they don't have a single number memorized that they could call and, you know, get help with. And so anyway, just little things like that, I think, like you're saying are, are super important, but yeah. So there's like, I've definitely developed a lot of tips and tricks for like safety, but I think it not like when people start asking me like, how do you be safe as a woman? I think it really came natural to me because I mean, I think I've always been a very organized observant person. It's just my personality. But when people started to ask me, I was like, Oh, I don't know. It just came like, it was just like a subconscious behavior. So I started to think, Oh, what do I do? And I, I definitely want to do like more tips and tricks on that to like actually get what's in my subconscious out and like, okay, this is what I actually do. Because, um, I think there are ways like, of course, like you definitely have more things to think about when you're a woman traveling alone than like a man does. It's just a fact. And as long as you are prepped and you have everything you need and you know, you're organized and you're not just putting, of course, like don't put yourself in situations. Of course you can't always control what happens, but I think you can control what you can control. And then, you know, I think you also like putting the vibrations out of meeting the right people and, you know, don't be too trusting. Like there's a fine balance of like, I love that open energy of openness and trusting and following the synchronicities, but also don't be too trusting and stupid and do something that's like, yeah. And I think obvious. one thing that you, you know, you experienced that I experienced, well, I lived in Mexico for two years from 19 to 21. And so doing something to familiarize yourself with foreign places where you don't necessarily speak the language, cause it makes you a lot more comfortable And the energy you put off, you just become more comfortable in that setting, mm -hmm. I think. And that, that helps a lot as, as well. But so what led you ultimately? So you ended up down in Peru, you did ayahuasca. What led you to go down there in the first place? I think I was just like, it was during the pandemic, like end of 2020, I had, was just moved home, like living with my parents and I'm just like kind of bored and like just frustrated with my life. Cause I was like, this wasn't supposed to happen. Like I was supposed to be living in Bali. I'm supposed to be living my best life. I'm supposed to be, I had all these plans that didn't go to plan because you know, pandemic hit things are out of your control. And I had always wanted to go to Peru, like I said, but I always knew that it was going to be perfect timing. Like I just felt like I didn't want to force it. I didn't want to just go. I wanted to have like somehow a connection there that invited me there. And they always say like mother ayahuasca calls you. Right. And so she had been knocking on my door for a while, but I knew it wasn't the right timing. And, and, um, but then I felt like going again. I just like, oh, I kind of want to travel. I kind of want to go on a trip. Like, where do I want to go? And I just started thinking about where I want to go. And I also consulted like my astrologist. So I have an astrologist who looks at, it's like, I see it as like an energy forecast. So it's just as you would look at the weather map, the weather, not map, but the weather for the weekend to be like, oh, should I go to the beach? Oh, it's raining. Maybe not. So like I see astrology as an energy forecast. And so I consulted with my astrologist and there's also, if no one knows there's astrocartography. So like with the way that the stars line up with the planet, certain areas will bring different energy. So at the time I was looking for something that would, you know, help me figure out my purpose, help me figure out what I wanted to do. I was going in a shift in my career, moving from, you know, the more influencer type of content, like LA influencer and travel content to a more spiritual uh, influencer or spiritual, I don't know, creator type of content. And I just wanted to figure out 
go inward and figure out myself and just go through a deep change. And so I thought about Peru and I was like, Oh, I think I want to go to Peru and finally do ayahuasca. So then I checked out my astro cartography. She said, it's a great time to travel right now. During the time I wanted to go in January and Peru, it was the perfect time. Like if you're into astrology, it was like North node and Chiron were both in my Peru area, which would be, um, for, your fate and destiny and past lives and like learning about yourself. So it was like the perfect energy to go. So it's like, Oh, this is cool. And then I found out my friend was living there and she was like, I talked to her and I was like, Hey, I really want to go to Peru. Where should I go? She's like, Oh, just come visit me. So I was like, okay, booked a flight there. Honestly, did not do any research into the area. I just trusted her. I was like, she's into this stuff. She's doing meditation every day. Like this looks like where I want to be. So I went, stayed with her for a few days and yeah, that's what like led me to get to Peru. Awesome. And so after you did, what was your ayahuasca? I've done it four or five times now. Um, just had some life-changing experiences. One of my tattoos is about a conversation I had with Jesus in my ayahuasca ceremony. And I had a conversation with Jesus too. So that's really, cool. that yeah. is pretty cool. And you, what's funny in your five MEO DMT, you also got that message that, um, that all the medicine is within, like, that's really, yeah. it's not an accident. I mean, the medicines are very brilliant and give you yeah. the messages that, that you need to hear. Exactly. Um, so was your was your entire ayahuasca experience a good experience? Was it tough? Like mine, it's kind of for me. It was it was obviously very difficult, but like you love it in the moment as you're going right? through the difficulty. I think that's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, these these medicines have taught me really is to love things that I used to hate, like things that I would avoid, like pain and discomfort and fear and like all these emotions that I would be so averse to and so want to be like get away. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this, and I would try to avoid it at all costs. And I've learned through the medicine that like facing them is actually so beautiful. So the first experience, it was, I asked for a gentle experience. I like went in to it asking mother ayahuasca and guides for nothing too heavy. Cause I truly believe the medicine will give you what you need. And that it's not like, I think that the soul gives you what you need in the time. And honestly, on a like scientific level, even your body doesn't bring up trauma until you're ready to process. I don't know if you heard about this, but like when you no, have a go traumatic into that a little event, bit, if you can, yeah. I've never heard so that. I don't like go, I'm not a scientist to so look this up on your own. This is something I've picked up from probably a podcast or something, but I've learned that, um, if something traumatic happens to you when you're like five and it's something that's way beyond your mental capacity to understand or to process your body will and mind or whatever stores it somewhere in your brain to process at a later time when you're emotionally mature enough to understand it. So that's why sometimes you think, Oh, I had a great child and nothing happened. All of a sudden you're 25 and you're like, Oh shit, this memory just popped up of this happened. Okay. That makes sense. Like, and then you have to process it because now you're ready to understand such an adult concept. Your body's ready to process it. So that being the scientific explanation. And I think the sole explanation is that your body is not going to give you anything. You're not ready to handle. And same with the medicine. It's not going to just like force this horrible experience on you and then make it worse. And of course, some people like have really intense experiences. And I think the problem there isn't that they weren't ready for it. It was that they didn't have the right tools to integrate it. Yeah. No, that's, if you get the right set and setting, right. Obviously, then I think I tell people the same thing. It's like, it's not like you're out of control of the experience. It's a, you're very much um, yeah. going to be able to, for the most part, you know, be able to control the experience. You're, it's not like some, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could get up it. and walk to the bathroom if I need it. Like, right. but some people, of course, like, I don't want to speak for everyone. Some people are state they maybe it's all literally so many factors. You need to be in the right set and setting the right shaman, the right dosage, right. The right timing too is really important. I know for me, you know, I got called to do it eventually. Cause like the first three times I scheduled to do ayahuasca, I canceled cause like, it didn't feel right. And I'm very much, you know, honor the medicine and I treat it very sacred. And so for me, it was like, no, I, I'm not going to do it just because I wanted to do it. I waited till it, I knew it was a hell yes. Exactly. So there's a lot of things that you have to like factor in to make sure you have a good experience. But, um, so yeah, it was, when I say gentle, it wasn't like perfect the whole time. Of course I had to face some emotions. And so my ayahuasca experience, it was really cool because it was like, I met my younger self and she guided me through these rooms in a house. Like my body, my soul was a house and each was a room. And in the basement, I met my shadow self and it was everything that I disliked about myself. It was like the worst imagery I could think of myself. And instead of like shaming her and, or trying to change her, I went up and I hugged her and I held her and I walked her up the room 
I walked her up the stairs and into this like higher room with this beautiful white, pristine, everything clean. And I literally just hugged her until she transformed right before my eyes into my highest self. And so it was this message of like, I think a lot of times we think, especially in the healing journey, oh, I have this and this and this to fix. Like the healing journey can turn toxic. And that's what happened for me. And I talk about that a lot in my book. Even after my ayahuasca experience, I still let the healing journey turn toxic of thinking, oh, if I just heal this one more thing, I'll finally be spiritual. I'll finally reach my highest self. And it was this, no, I need to fully accept my everything, even the things I don't like about myself, the negative emotions, the negative traits, and fully accept and love that. And then it transforms from that. So not changing but, because you think you need to change, but making change because you know, it's good for you and not like, this is a balance, right? Well, it's crazy how much mine and your experience mirrors each other. So mine, my last ayahuasca experience I did was when I finally learned to love myself completely. It's about a, a little over a year ago now, but, and what the message finally was, cause I was like, please show me the part of me. I still don't love. I could tell there was something there mm. and it was the part of me that can be weak or um, afraid or um, lonely or depressed. I've never let myself go to those emotions. And instead of saying like, no, you don't have to go there. Like you can be strong. It was acceptance of that and be like, no, no, sometimes you're just sad. Like sometimes you're actually lonely and actually, and I just sat there and I purged it through tears that night, but just allowed myself to feel all those emotions and let mm. them in. And I, I was like, ew, gross. Why would I want to love the weak part of me? Like it was, mm. I still had the hardest time. Like once I even recognized it, I was like, oh, of course I don't love that part of me. But then like accepting that and loving that fully was the missing piece that I just had never wanted to love that part of me. And it's not rejecting it or saying like, oh, you can overcome it or fixing it. It's accepting that that is real and that's okay. And that those are parts of you that you need to love. And so I love the way you, that you put that. It was a very similar experience to what I had. Hey guys, Jimmy here. Uh, I just want to take a quick break from the podcast to let you know about my new done for you podcast studio, Rookery Studios. When I first started out my podcast, I, I quickly learned how big of an investment it was. The money required to put into good equipment, the skills needed for editing, and the overall time commitment that it took. I realized that these are the reasons that other people really never start their podcasts. And after doing now 325 episodes here on The Jimmy Rex Show, I thought it was time I help make podcasting easier for those of you who have want to start out, but have the same issues that I did. So here at Rookery Studios, we took care of everything for you, making your voice easy to share. We provide the highest quality audio and video equipment. We do all the recording, editing, and even posting to the platforms that you want your podcast to be on, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or any others. All you have to do is come into the studio at your scheduled time and everything else, everything is handled for you. Uh, so if you're here in Utah and you're looking to get a start on your podcast and you don't really know where or how to start, or you're just tired of dealing with the hassle of doing it all yourself, come check us out at the studio. We're super affordable. Your first episode also is on us. You can learn more about Rookery Studios on our website at rookerystudio.com or by messaging us on Instagram at Rookery Studios. Now let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, I think it's it's so cool to see that so many people have similar experiences. Of course, everyone has vastly different experiences as well, but I think it just depends on like what you've been through in your life and where you come from. And I think people from the same similar background, like Western society, we kind of all have these different messages geared toward us. Like you men are taught not that they can't be weak, that they can't cry, that they can't feel emotion just constantly by society. And now I think people are stepping into like, no, it's okay. Like the divine masculine, that the energy is like owning the feminine within you and owning, owning everything within you and owning those emotions. And like, instead of rejecting it, accepting it. And I love that that happened for you. That's so, yeah. Cool. I mean, that's, you know, what I teach, I have this men's coaching group. I coach over 150 guys now. And, um, one of the things that I teach a lot is, um, this new form of masculinity, which is being vulnerable, authentic, and in integrity and being mm. willing to embrace, like leading with your masculine and being in your masculine, which is your natural, but not you know, um, rejecting the feminine or the part of us that wants to just, you know, that wants to be weak, that wants to be able to feel emotion and some of those other things or to be able to admit when we aren't okay, I guess is a good way to put it, but yeah, that's super cool. Um, so after ayahuasca, what, what you did five MDT, and then you kind of had like a point where you got a little bit depressed, right? Yeah. So I was in, living in the circus. And I thought I had just done the strongest psychedelic in the world. And then I learned about Bufo and I was like, Oh, I kind of want to try that. Like I didn't necessarily need to do it, 
like I felt like very complete with the ayahuasca experience, but I, part of me, I was like, Oh, I really want to try that. And a part of me was still searching like deep down, still searching for something because of course I grew up religion. I grew up Christian and we, in my experience with Christianity, you're projecting your greatness onto God and saying like, okay, I can't do anything without God. And, you know, while I still think, believe in some truths from Christianity, a lot of it, I feel like has been twisted and misrepresented and completely, you know, tainted. And so I think for me, it was a really difficult experience growing up religious and overcoming all that religious trauma, especially as a woman, when they're taught, there's so many things you can't do because you're a woman. And especially in religion, it's just like, it was a lot to overcome. Which, uh, Which religion were you in, by the way? not like a non-denominational Christian. So like okay. evangelical, even, I can't even say the word anymore. Even yeah. Evangelical Christian going on missions trips, you know, all that, all that stuff, like no sex before marriage, like being gay is wrong. Like everything like that. Like it was pretty strict. I mean, not as strict as like some other places. Like my family wasn't as strict, thankfully. Like I've heard some way worse stories of like, or it's almost like you're coming out of a cult. Mine yeah, wasn't well, I, grew, I grew up, I grew up Mormon. And so I was oh, pretty gosh. damn strict. Yeah. I that's went on, worse. A, <laughs> I went on a two-year mission, like virgin into my thirties. I did the damn thing. You did it. Wow. That's even, that's long. That's yeah, long. So you can see why I've appreciated the, uh, the plant medicines and maybe see, this is why we have similar experiences. I was going to say, we right. must've come from the same background of that kind of similar upbringing of, you know, shelteredness and like confinement. And now we just want to be boundless and expand. Um, so yeah, essentially I was still kind of searching cause I feel like I've taken that religious framework, even though I've consciously decided to deconstruct that and come out of that. I still subconsciously have that framework. And I think you have that for a very long time. It takes a very long time to literally rewire every single, every single belief you've believed your entire life. I can't do that in a year. Like for, I, luckily I did it young. I did it at 20. And so yeah, I feel 30. like mine's like still happening. It's, I've been working oh. on it for eight years and it's still not complete yet. You know, it's, it's pretty damn close at this point, but it's like when you know where you're from, why you're here, where you're going, what you can do, what you can't, and it's all stripped and you have to redefine all of that. It's going to take a minute. Yeah. The way that I, I literally wrote a, not a poem, but just like a journal entry about the way that that looked to me and the way that I see it visually is that I was in this safety net, right? And I'm in this safety net and I'm thinking it's holding me all these rules, all these belief systems. This is the way it needs to be because this is keeping me safe. And I think as when I started to chip away at these belief systems, it felt like I was ripping open the safety net. And it was scary because I thought, oh my God, I'm going to fall to the ground and I will be dead. Like if all of these belief systems are gone and I slowly started chipping away at these belief systems, even though it was scary and scary and scary and like afraid that I'm going to fall. But eventually the net came off and I opened my eyes and I realized I'm standing on the ground. I'm completely fine. In reality, that safety net was just holding me back from being able to walk freely and be myself. It wasn't a safety net at all. It was a confinement. And so that was because I see things like in divisions. And so that was the way that I saw how it was working for me. And, um, but still that subconscious belief of like, okay, I need something else to save me. Right. First it was Jesus. Then in school, it was my career or it was grades. And then it was career. And then it was turned into spirituality. Okay. What's the next spiritual tool I can do that'll save me and finally complete me. And I had this, like, the thing is like, I have these really strong visions of my future of who I want to be, but sometimes that holds me back because I'm like, okay, well I have to get there now, or I'm not, I'm not complete now. If I don't get there, like having a strong idea of where you want to go is great, but sometimes you get so caught up in the goal, in the manifestation and where you want to be that you're not accepting of where you are now. And this is in not just in spirituality and career. I think too, a lot of people are like, okay, I just hit a million sales. Now I want to hit 10 million sales. There's always something greater that you're searching for and looking for. And so this was the phase I was in. I was like, okay, I really want to be this person. I want to be my fully authentic self online. I want to, I see myself being this spiritual creator, influencer person to bring these messages. Like I want to share this, but I didn't have, I didn't have the confidence to share it yet. I didn't feel comfortable showing that side of myself online. So I was like, Oh, I heard that Bufo like basically makes you your best self. Like I just hear all these stories from people. Right. So I heard this very, uh, pedestal version of Bufo, like the hot, everyone's best experiences. And of course, when you hear all the hype, it never lives up to the hype. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'll finally be healed. And I literally had this idea like, okay, once I do Bufo, I'll never have any problems again, which is a crazy idea to think of. But I literally 
thought that. And like, I knew it was crazy even when I thought that, but subconsciously that was my hope. I was hoping that it would fix a lot of my problems. And so I go into the Bufo experience and I'm trying so hard to like, let go of expectations. I'm like, okay, I'm letting go. And I think let go, let go. And as much as you can consciously let go of expectations or say you're letting go, if it's subconsciously in there, it's, it's really hard to strip that. It's a process. And so I go into the Bufo experience and, you know, um, it's beautiful. I'm in this tree house in Nicaragua with two women leading it. And it's super comfortable and just like so warm. The environment's amazing. The women are absolutely amazing. There's crystals everywhere, singing bowls, and I'm, it's private. There's no one watching me. So it felt like really safe and comfortable. And so they have it as like very beautiful crystal bong that they like put it in. And so, you know, you breathe it in three times or however long and I feel it all of a sudden I fall back body aching pain everywhere. My hips are like literally spasming. My neck is hurting. It's scary. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is not what I signed up for. And so I'm screaming, holding my neck saying no, no, no over and over again. And then it's over. It felt like only five seconds. And then I sit up and I'm like, oh my God, if the strongest psychedelic in the world can't work on me, what will? And I just start crying and crying and crying. And I'm telling them this, And I'm like in a state of panic. I'm like, why isn't this working? You know? And so they let me like process my emotions and they're like, I said, I want to do it again. I can't leave like this. I felt like it made me worse. Like I can't leave like this. And they were like, okay, Kendall, like if you want to do this again, you can, but you need to let go of all expectations and surrender fully because the medicine of this is feminine. It's, it's full surrender it's only going to take you where you need to go. If you surrender, if you fight it, it's going to be really uncomfortable and painful. And so I was like, okay, I'll do it. And this time I fully released and let go and surrendered and went into it. And it was a completely different experience. Although it was still like not comfortable. Like you're literally in a different dimension. It literally felt like the, the difference between my body and the external, like became one. I couldn't tell where my body ended and the other one started in those those visuals that you see, you know, on the visuals of like an EDM concert, like, you know, the fractal images, I didn't see that I became it. My body was that. And I'm sure you probably experienced the same thing. It was this other realm, but at the same time, like, I felt like I was home. Like I was, I've been there before this other realm, but I did like so much processing and it, it literally like, for lack of a better word is like an exorcism. Like when I've heard of exorcisms before, of like people shaking and like their demons coming out, like in Christianity, I think that's just like a very over hyped version of like what's happening. If you're just processing trauma, you're just letting it go. It's like not demons releasing. I'm sure that happens, but like it was, it felt like an exorcism of my self hate and my self criticism. And I basically saw all the times in my life that I've been so hard on myself from since I was a kid until now. And I cried for all my past selves, all my younger selves that were so tough on herself. And basically I heard this voice that was like, why are you so hard on yourself? felt like a big sister energy, like wrapping me up and holding me and hugging me. And it's like, you're good just as you are. You're whole just as you are. You don't need to keep fixing yourself. Like you're just putting too much pressure on yourself. And it was just this like relaxing moment of like, oh, that's so true. And then it was this purging and it's just like this whole wave, like in and out of like this intensity and then this relaxing and intensity. And like, I purged this like energy that was in my throat and my throat chakra. They said they saw it. And like, I had felt this blockage, like physically, like a hair in my throat for weeks before that. And then I was like hacking it up energetically. And then it was gone after that. It was crazy. And then I started my podcast after that. So it was like this throat blockage being released. Um, but essentially there's a lot more to it, which is in my book. I don't want to give away too much, but, um, you'll have to read my book for the whole story. But, um, by the way, the book is, is it, it's not out yet. When does it release? mm -hmm. So it'll be released around September, October. So I'm doing a pre-sale campaign, which I can get into in a bit. Um, but overall the lesson from Bufo for me, I'm glad that it didn't work the first time because I learned that your expectations change the experience. It's literally like I, I was the same person, like the same person, same situation, same set setting, everything took it twice and had two vastly different experiences. The first one was like five seconds and I hated it. The second one felt like an hour and it was this beautiful exorcism and dive into myself and I just felt everything at once. And it was so beautiful, yet painful joy, like every emotion at once. And I learned that like, 
like your expectation, your fears and everything change it. And the funny thing is they told me afterwards, both experiences were the exact same amount of time. Mm. Like the fact that like, I like transited time and like, I thought the first one was five seconds. And then I, the, the last one was an hour and they were both 20 minutes. And I'm like, that's fucking crazy. How does that work? But it was just proof that like the way you step into an event, the way you like your expectations of it really do change your perception. And I've seen that sense. Like every time I go into a place expecting something to happen or expecting a negative experience, it's like, it's like putting on like negative tainted glasses versus like rose colored glasses. But either way, I'd rather be like in a neutral state where I'm like able to like see everything for as it is instead of like tainting it either way. But it was such a beautiful experience and life-changing. But as you said, I did fall into a deep state of depression after because I like had this beautiful experience. Right. And then the next week I go home to live with my family, going from living in a big community of people that I'm able to fully be myself, fully be authentic, let my weird side out. I can talk about anything and just feel so safe and welcomed to going home, living with my family that I don't necessarily agree with on all these beliefs, like certain beliefs and values. And I felt like I had to shrink myself in order to be in that space. And I couldn't fully expand in that space. And so, and I didn't have the integration tools. I didn't do therapy afterwards. I didn't do like breathwork sessions. I just thought I could handle it on my own, went back and went into this high performing environment where I launched my podcast and I'm trying to launch this business. So I'm literally working all day string, like burning myself out. And then I just dive into this deep depression for months where I literally can't do anything and had to stop everything, stop going on social media. And I was just, it physically felt like I had an illness, like a chronic illness. Like I couldn't do anything. And I feel like I'm still coming out of that because it was so, I heard that, like, I've heard that once your body releases, once you go through a shift, you go through a deep time of rest because your body finally is out of fight or flight and it's trying to like rest. So I still don't know what fully happened. I'm still processing that time, but it was necessary because I learned a lot. So what recommendation do you have for people that want to experience, you know, ayahuasca and bufo, but they're, um, you know, you did it very young, 26 years old. I mean, it's not that young, but at the same time, I wish I'd have found this 20 years ago, you know, and it would have changed a lot of things in my life. And, and maybe, you know, I like the outcome. So it's like, it worked out perfectly how it was supposed to for me, but there is, you know, very serious medicines is what these are. And so what recommendation or what advice, and I love that the world's going to this place is, is more and more bullshit becomes obvious of what's going on or in the world around us more and more people are becoming awake to it as well. And a lot of people are going to the space like you are like, you know, into spirituality and in some of these other modalities to help people um, to just discover the beauty of the energy of the universe and everything that's going on around us and um, finding God their way and all these different things. But what advice do you have for people then, um, especially younger people that are interested in these things, but to make sure they do it the proper way and, and maybe be able to avoid some of the hardship that you've felt after you had your experience. Yeah. I mean, I think everything is about timing. And like you said, you wish you'd done it earlier, but honestly, you probably did it at the perfect time for you. Right. Agreed. If, if you did it earlier, maybe it would have fucked you up. Like <laughs> I've heard stories of where it just, you know, like me, it kind of messed me up for a bit, but it wasn't the medicine. It was just me not having the right integration tools. So I think for one, you know, making sure you're doing it in the right time of your life, you don't want to be doing it when the next month you have like five meetings a day, like just when you're in a time in your life where you're working constantly in a high productive mode. I think if you're in a time of your life where you're a little more relaxed, you can like have the time to process and you have the time and money to like spend on therapy. I think that's really important is to make sure it's like, I think you can, people can be a good call a, hopefully a judgment, make a judgment call of like, okay, is this the right time for me to do this? And, um, so yeah, the right time in your life and you want to make sure I didn't think about the aftermath, make sure you think about the integration after. Yeah. And of course, all these shamans, they, they, the medicine people, they tell you that the integration is important, but I didn't, I had to experience that to learn that lesson. Well, and I, I was originally, so with my coaching group, we go do these crazy adventures together. We, you know, um, jump off crazy rope swings and we run with the bulls and we just got back from swimming with tiger sharks in oh the God, Bahamas. Fun. And, 
Um, one of the things like something I, gonna, I would do. Yeah, it's uh, it's well, it's, there's so much power in getting out of that place where you feel safe, right? And that's what I want them to. These are a lot of things that have the appearance of danger, but they're really very controlled environments. Um, mm. But and I was going to take them all to Peru, where it's legal to do ayahuasca. And I had three different experiences in a row that told me do not take them as a group to ayahuasca because ultimately each person has to be called individually. And people would go because they didn't want to have FOMO or they didn't just didn't want to miss out from the group. And it was very clear to me that that was not part of my mission with these men at this point was to take them because they wouldn't be ready. They wouldn't have the integration tools that we need. And so uh, we we bailed on that. We're going to go to Iceland instead and go do the Northern Lights and some stuff up there. But um, so cool. But it was just, you know, it was very eye-opening to me. It was just a reminder of just how serious these things can be. Um, but ultimately what we're seeking too, it's, it's very important. I think that we come back to this and this is what your whole book again is about is that we are the medicine. The medicine is already within us. And whatever um, modality we need, whatever help we need to find that is important. And the plant medicines will shoot you there quicker than anything else. Yeah. But there's so many other ways to get there, you know, through exactly. breath work and through meditation and through um, tantra dance and some of these other things that you've been able to experience. And um, I don't know if you go into that a lot in the book, but I think that's just an important message to get out to people that are interested in these things is, is you know, there's so many different ways to find what we're seeking, but ultimately understanding that nobody else has an answer better for you. No religion, no pol politician, no company, no business, no person has an answer better for yourself than your own self. And sometimes you need help discovering that, but we all have that ability to make the change and to feel the love that we seek and all those different things from within. Oh, totally. I definitely talk about all that in my book, like all the different modalities and um, the same thing with the the group that I went to there, it's kind of the same thing where like facing your fears and putting yourself out there. And like, that's been one of my, like, I, I look back on my life and that's something that I continuously do. If you see my videos on Instagram, I'm literally doing bungee jumping, jumping off cliffs, skydiving, like doing crazy shit all the time. Cause I love facing my fear. I love that adrenaline rush. And I don't think I knew what I was doing at the time, but it was like helping. It was transformational. Yeah. And I think ayahuasca was another one of those facing fears. So like whenever I see, it's funny because I've said in early and earlier in my life when I was Christian, of course, like all these things like, oh, I would never do this. I would never do drugs. <laughs> I'm never going to smoke weed. I'm never going to do this. And here I am doing the strongest psychedelic in the world. But I find when I say like, when I, in mean, my initial reaction is like, oh, I could never do that. Then my second thought is, oh, now I want to. <laughs> yeah. I tell the guys that when they sign up for my program, they know they're going to do this 200 80 foot jump off a cliff. It was a rope swing that my buddy set up the night before. Oh, I thought you just meant like by themselves. I was like, no, and, but when I, <laughs> when we do the, it's the most terrifying thing in the world. And they always say like, oh, I could never do that. And I go, it's exactly why you have to, you know, exactly. it's, like it's, the, it's the best thing. And I, I love doing that. And I think one of the, uh, momentum collective thing that they have coming up is like, oh, oh, what is it called? One of those like walks across the tightrope walks across this like big bridge. And one of the tallest, like tallest mountains in like Costa Rica or something like that. I'm like, I want to go do that. Yeah. I just love pushing myself that way. And further than that, not just physically, but emotionally. So sometimes like, I think I only did it physically, like in the past with bungee jumping and doing things that scared me that way. But then the emotional stuff is honestly even scarier, like facing your emotions and even not even in a psychedelic way, like during my depression, I had to face emotions completely sober. Cause I went sober for five months during this, like nothing. And I would sit in my room and do med deep meditations and face these emotions. And like, it felt like your body was dying. Like it literally feels like you're dying because you're like, this is so scary. But once you face it and go through it, it's so much beautiful on the other side. But those are the most scary moments for me is not jumping off a cliff and doing this. It's like facing the emotions. And honestly, like those trips that you do too, is like, it gets you to that point. Sometimes it's like, okay, yeah. why is this fear there? Where is it coming from? Well, and the scariest thing that we do is, you know, we do this thing where we call step in the circle. We all, we get all 50 guys and I have a list of about 40 questions. And if you, uh, if it applies to you, you have to step into the circle and be seen. And, you know, the questions mm -hmm. get very, um, vulnerable essentially. And I mean, ask everything from, if you've ever cheated on your spouse, if you've ever had a, a sibling died, if you ever, um, you know, been cheated on, like if you ever, uh, you know, have a pornography addiction, if you've ever, you know, just all these different things. And what it does is everybody gets to be seen in that space and still be loved, but it is the scariest, most terrifying thing. I think that, that I could ask these men to do is that's why it's such a powerful outcome. 
Um, but I just, I love a lot of what you're doing. You, you, you really are, uh, I could tell you're a kindred spirit when I saw your stuff and, um, just have a lot of synchronicities and I want people to, uh, be able to follow you, to be able to learn more. I, I, I love the way that you're just going after life. Um, especially in the female space, there's, I think so many people are afraid to do that. And so I, that's why I wanted to expose my audience to you. If people want to learn more about what you got going on, where is the best place to send them Kendall? Yeah. So you can come to my Instagram, Kendall.Furman, my TikTok, Kendall Furman, YouTube, Kendall Furman, my website, Kendall Furman. It's all just my name and my book. So the pre-sale is happening for another 15 days. And I would love if anyone wants to support it, it's essentially, um, doing an Indiegogo campaign. So I'm working with a publisher, but it's a hybrid publisher. So we work to write the book and then we do like a, a promotional phase. So I'm raising funds for the the cost of publishing and, you know, marketing and all of that, and then go into editing phase. And it'll be out later this week, along with a Peru retreat, which we think we talked about a little bit. Um, but I definitely want to get some, pick your brain about your retreats and see what I can incorporate as well. Cause I'll be basically taking people on a similar journey I did in Peru. Like you said, I'm not offering ayahuasca because I don't want people to, if they feel called to do it on the trip, they can most definitely do that on their own, but I won't be hosting that. I'll be hosting things like meditative hikes in the Andes mountains, um, cacao ceremonies, kirtan, temescal, things that are pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone and, um, having fun in that way. And so I'll be guiding a group in Peru later this year. I think it'll be over, uh, new year's Eve. Haven't decided yet. I was I was there for New Year's Eve and it was so much fun. Oh my God. I love that. Not like a typical New Year's Eve party where you're drinking, but like just dancing in the valley with fireworks going off, like drinking cacao, like the most wholesome little New Year's Eve ever is so fun. I love but that. You can find more out about that on my website. And then there's an Indiegogo campaign link. And I have a lot of different like bundles with it. So you can book like a spiritual chat with me, which is like a personal coaching call or a business coaching call. So I have a background in business and marketing, um, doing all that fun stuff, worked for Tinder, worked for a bunch of different companies, director of marketing for a tech company. So I like to bring in my business side as well. So if people are interested in business, um, consulting, so there's different bundles with the, the thing. And you also get a signed copy of my book and a ticket to the launch event. So I'm raising funds until June 1st is the last day, June 1st at like midnight Pacific time. I believe that you can buy it. But, um, yeah, and if anyone wants to reach out, has any questions about any of my travels or, you know, even wants to be on, oh, I have a podcast as well. Forgot to mention that Kendall's world. I talk about all my different traveling experiences, downloads from the universe. I have cool guests on, maybe I'll have you on. We'll do a little podcast swap. That'll be fun. We'd love to. You let me know when we'll make it happen. So let's do it. And we'll put attachment to that too. And we'll move your podcast episode for sure launches before then. And we'll do a little swipe up as well. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in any of that, check it out. I put the link in my uh, podcast or in my uh, uh, Instagram uh, stories. And so we'll make sure that people know how to get a hold of you. So, well, thank you so much again. We got a lot of things to uh, talk about in the future and, and it's exciting to watch your journey. And thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Uh, and this podcast was brought to you by Steve DeYoung over at Trillion Mortgage. I've, I've sold thousands of homes in my real estate career, and there's nobody I trust more than Steve over at Trillion Mortgage. So reach out to him, give him a call if you are looking to f- refinance your home or to maybe buy a new property. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you liked what you heard, do me a favor. This is a, this is a free podcast. The one thing I ask of my audience is to leave me a review. This just helps me to get better and better guests to let more people know about this show so they too can benefit from the Jimmy Rex show. Thank you again for listening and we will talk to you on the next episode.